finishing off for the end of the year. And so uh, there's a whole bunch of people out the back and they're having a whole bunch of fun with a whole bunch of kids. So that's happening around the church this morning as well. And uh, afterwards, uh, for all the parents uh, who have booked in, there's lunch available. And uh, that'd be great. I want to just uh, share with you, you know, this morning, it, the, the season, of course, as I've already intimated, is that we uh, celebrate Jesus and his birth. And uh, it's one of those, uh, there's many passages in the scripture that just talk about the birth of Christ. And no better than this one this morning uh, from Luke chapter 2, verses 11 to 14. Hey, thanks, Dale. You're a champion. And it just says this. Uh, if you've got your Bibles or you've got your uh, electronic devices, you're welcome to read on your own. That's a book, because sometimes it's better in your own Bible, but it is on the on the. Uh, uh, the screens if you need to read it there. Luke chapter 2 says, For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Saviour, who is Christ the Lord. Interesting, to, it didn't say is born to you this day a child. Uh, straight from the outset, it was uh, a Saviour. Jesus was the Saviour. As Mark has already intimated this morning, he was born to be a Saviour. Verse 12, And this will be the sign to you, you will find a babe, now he talks about a babe, wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly, suddenly there was with an angel. So the angel was speaking, but there's a whole bunch of angels joined the other angel, a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace. Goodwill towards all men. I love the last thought in verse 14. It says, On earth, peace. Goodwill to all men. Uh, the peace that is even talked about there in Luke chapter 2, the Luke the doctor is talking about, obviously isn't the peace of this world. Would you agree? It's not the literal physical peace of this world because the peace, would you agree that the, today our world is not living in peace? There's some, there's elements of peace. I think in Australia generally we live in a fairly peaceful country. That seems to be changing a little bit over the last two years. But some countries certainly don't live in peace, they live in turmoil. And so the peace that, that the angel is declaring there obviously isn't the external peace, isn't a circumstantial peace. It has to be more something greater. And I want to tell you what it is, is the peace in our own hearts and lives. That's the greatest peace of all. And uh, here we see a declaration about what God can give us, even in the midst of turmoil, we can have peace. Amen? That is a valuable attribute to have in life, believe me when you can live with peace here. But the second thing that we see the angel says, it says goodwill towards men. Now, men is genetic, generic, I should say. So it's talking about men and women, um, men and women. And so the goodwill that is expressed here by the angel is declaring that Jesus is heaven's goodwill expressed, expressed towards us. He was a goodwill expressed towards us. The birth of Jesus meant God wanted to reveal His goodness to humanity. His goodness to humanity. I want to talk about, and it's been mentioned this morning already, but I want to talk about the goodness of God this morning, that God is good. God is good all the time, and all the time God, is, you know, He is, is good. God is good. God ex expressed purpose towards us this morning is not just peace, but it's His goodness. And all because uh, and Jesus reflected that goodness of God when He came upon the earth as a baby, and then He grew as a teenager into a, a man, and then ultimately he, he, he gave the ultimate sacrifice of goodness, and He gave His life. 
So God is not some nasty God. Uh, uh, he doesn't, he, he, the very nature of God is not nasty or stingy or, or wanting the worst for you. God wants the best for you. God is a good God. He's not a nasty God. We even see the very nature of Jesus as he grew up. And we see it in, in Acts chapter 10, verse 38. It says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Who went about doing, come on, he went about doing good. And healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. There we go. Jesus didn't go around spreading rumors or nastiness or whatever. He, he went around doing, come on, good. I love it. Why, so why should we believe that God is good? Why should we believe that God is good? You know, we, we really, if you were to go back into the very first chapters of the Bible in Genesis, and you were to look in, those, uh, in Genesis 1, seven times God says something. He said, it is good. After he created the birds and the air and the animals and the heavens and the uh, earth and the moon and the stars, he said, it's good. And six occasions he said, it is good. And then he made Adam and Eve, man and woman, and then he stood, stood back and he looked at it all and he said, it's very good, very good. Okay, do you know that he was declaring that over your life? It's good. He wants you to be, he not only wants you to be good, he wants to declare that he sees you as good. He, his very nature is his goodness, he wants to share with you. So I love that thought. It stands to reason if God was wicked or he, you know he, he he wouldn't have been made he wouldn't have made good things god didn't exist to make everything nasty or bad he made it he was good so out of his nature came good things if you were to look at some other religions this morning and other belief systems you look at the greek mythology for instance greek mythology says this that these certain gods all came together and had a big war and turmoil and out of that turmoil and out of that war and that hatred for one another they produced and created the world I'm glad I don't believe in that system. If you were to look at maybe uh, the Buddhist faith this morning, the Buddhist faith declares that we should, uh, we should resist all things in the world, all the things that would create lust and greed and desire, and we should resist all that and live a, a, fairly, so, uh, a life of, of resistance to any good thing. And yet God said everything he made was good, and yet the Buddhists say, no, we've got to keep away from that so we don't pollute our soul. And I think, man, God's given us good things to live on this earth, hasn't he? He created the animals. He said it's good. I'm glad I don't live as a Buddhist this morning. I'm glad I don't actually in, embrace. It's only the God of the Christian faith that declares this morning that through, out of his nature that is good. Isn't that wonderful? God is good and he declares that the world, even though we see it as not a good world, but the reality is he created it in the first place for goodness. So God is not the author of evil or imperfection. He made good things and he made it for all of us to be good. How can we be sure? How can we believe that God is good? I love the thought that there's a patriarch in the Old Testament called Moses. And you might remember there's a time when Moses was leading the children of Israel through the desert and he went up a mountain and he spoke with God and God spoke with him. He actually got the Ten Commandments on that occasion. And it says God passed by him and God declared something. And this is what God said. He said in Exodus 36, uh, 34, 6, And the Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, which means patience, basically, and abounding in what? Goodness and truth. So God said, I, I've got... I, I, I'm a merciful God, I'm a gracious God, I'm a patient God, 
But you know what? I abound in? I abound in goodness. I abound in truth. Uh, I've got all the other attributes, and they're great, but there's one thing I really, there's a couple of things I abound in, and it's one of them is goodness. I abound in goodness. Good God. Now, you may ask this morning, why am I uh, stating this fact over and over again and mentioning that God is good? Well, one of the reasons that I've, de- I've discovered in life that is so foundational to our belief as people this morning, and you uh, maybe have never thought of it, and I pray that I prompt you this morning to think about it, one of the foundational principles and truth, and, and sometimes people struggle with this very truth that God is good. They struggle with it, particularly when things go bad, when life doesn't happen well. We can struggle with the very thought that, could God be really good? I want to encourage us this morning. And so I want us to show you something about your personal, the way you believe and the way you conduct your belief system and your thoughts. There's a verse in the Bible, and uh, I want to marry this all together, but it says in Matthew chapter 9, 28 and 29, there was an instance in Jesus' day, he's walking through a certain city and two blind men were following him. I'm not quite sure how they followed him, maybe someone led them, but they were totally blind and they were following Jesus, it says, and this is what happened. And when he, that is Jesus, came into the house, the blind men came to him and Jesus said to them, do you believe that I'm able to do this? Do what? Heal them from blindness. That's what he's talking about. And they said to him, yes, Lord. And then he touched their eyes saying, according to your faith, let it be to who? You. Come on. According to your faith, let it be to you. Jesus is saying, according to your faith, what you believe will happen to you. What you believe, what you believe according to your faith. Uh, sometimes we, we forget that little thing that, you know, one of the most profound thoughts is that what we believe affects our lives. You see, the reality is, is whatever you believe, it'll shape the way your life goes. That's how powerful it is. Your thought processes, your belief systems will shape the way your life, through the end of this year, which is not too many weeks left in this year, and then all of 2016, 2016, the way your life will go in 2016 will depend on what you believe. It'll be shaped by your belief system, but you know, say, oh, no, 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 circumstances will shape me. No, they won't. Because circumstances will only be dictated to by what you believe in your heart. Because if you believe, hey, and I won't go too far ahead because I've got some thoughts on that. Uh, but you know, the truth is, Proverbs 23, 7 says this, for a person, as a person thinks in their heart, so are they. So there's a powerful thought. As we think, so are we. As we think, as we think. See, I've got to, uh, I want to help you understand. Revelation is a big word, but really what it means is what you really have had an understanding of. You've had a light bulb moment in what you believe in your heart. That's what revelation is. Revelation is what you believe about God, what you believe about your life, what you believe you can do, what you believe you can't do. It'll determine what you believe, as I said, will shape your life. That'll shape your life. So important because your revelation determines your expectation. Just think about it. So if your expectation of God is good then you, your expectation will be that God will do you good. So if you have a revelation or a belief that God is good, that'll determine your expectation, and your expectation will be, oh, if God is good, then God will do me good. 
See how important the word good, uh, understanding God is good. See, let me give you, let me give you an example. See, also, um, so you have your belief or your revelation, which determines your expectation in life, which then helps you to process information that comes to you. Let me just illustrate it for you very clearly. If I have a revelation or I have a belief system about myself that um, I don't like myself, okay? I don't like the way I look. I don't like the way I talk sometimes. I don't like the things. Now, there's all points in that times in our life we probably say, well, that was silly. But I'm not just talking about that. I'm talking about, uh, this, you know, so I don't really like myself. So there's the revelation. There's the thought process. So my expectation is, is if I have this understanding or belief that I don't like myself, my expectation will be that probably if I don't like myself, probably other people don't like me either. You ever come across people like that? And, you, and sometimes a reaction and you wonder, wow, what's happening there? I didn't really say too much and yet, bang. So we have this revelation that I don't like myself and the expectation is other people don't like me. And so I walk into a room with people in it and, a, and as I walk through the, front, uh, through the door of that room, I see two people on the far side of the room put their hands to their mouths and whisper and talk to each other. Straight away, because of my revelation is I don't like myself and my expectation is people probably don't like me, my, the information that comes to me it, it, it says, well, those two people are probably saying nasty things about me. And because I have that attitude or the information I process through my revelation and expectation, the information is always processed through the negative. And so I think people don't like me. So those people must be saying things. And so I don't hang around in the room. I leave because I'm upset and offended by what those people said. And the truth is they probably didn't weren't talking about you at all. Can you see how, how important what you believe is? Important. See, what was really happening didn't determine my behavior. It was what I thought was happening. It was what I thought. It, see, it's, I want to tell you, it's not what happens to you that is important. It's what you think about what happens to you. Can you grab that this morning? Are you there? It's not what happens to you that is really that major. It's what you think about what happened. In other words, what you what what. Your reaction would be to what happens to you. What thought you have about what happens to you. Because I've discovered that one, this identical same thing can happen to two different people and yet one person reacts completely different to another person. Why is that? Because it's what they, some people think, okay, you know, oh, this happened to me. That's okay, we're going to get through this and move on. And yet to other people, the world seems to have ended for them because of this one incident. It's exactly the same that happens to the other person. So it's what you think. Is everybody with me this morning? Can you grab this? It's not what happens to you because what happens to you is often information and your world is shaped long before the information gets to you because you've shaped your world through your revelation and expectation. What happens to you is not as important as what you think about what happens to you. So if you say, well, I, I think I love myself with a healthy love. Then you'll walk through life generally, and Jesus says to love ourselves as we love our neighbors. And you know, if you walk through life with that attitude, you'll find that you'll, that you'll probably think, well, probably other people are going to like me, and that's fine if they don't, it doesn't matter, but I like myself, and I think generally people like me. And thus, when you walk into the room and someone's whispering behind their hand, you don't think they're whispering about you. You don't even hassle about that, because your revelation is, God loves me, I love myself, 
expectation, people like me, and thus we see that we don't get offended at such simple little things in life. The most important conviction now, let's get down to this. Let's marry these two things together I've been talking about this morning. Because Jesus says, according to your faith, let it be unto you. Is that right? According to your faith. According to what you believe. That's going to shape your life. According to your convictions. According to your convictions concerning faith. According to your convictions concerning God. According to your convictions concerning other people, according to your convictions of what you think about the world, according to your convictions of what you think about your marriage, what you think about your children, what you think about your parents, according to your convictions, uh, according to those convictions, life will be shaped. And this is true. Our convictions are incredibly important. Would you agree? They're important. So the most important conviction that I'd like to bring to you this morning is this simple thought of these three words, God is good. I want to say that is a conviction that if you cannot grasp that conviction this morning, you'll struggle because through the, I believe the principle and the conviction that God is good and that declaration in my heart and that knowing that is to the doorway, it's the gateway, it's the place where God will bring blessing through into our lives. I believe it's the entrance for God to bless and for us to, to receive and inherit all His blessings and His wisdom and His guidance and His help and His provision. I think it's through, I believe, through this simple statement and through the simple belief principle and conviction that God is good. And if we don't have that in a, as a conviction in our heart, we'll struggle to inherit and to receive what God has for us. so important. The goodness of God is the entrance. Uh, why? Uh, because if you understand that God is good, then it affects the way you see your future. It affects the way we see other people. It affects the way how we handle struggle and trial and problem and issues and things we face every day. It affects this conviction of God is good. We'll handle it different if we have a God is good attitude about life. But if we don't, we will struggle. Now, let's bring it back to the reality this morning of what happened in the beginning again. And let's see what the devil wants to do. And Because there's one thing that God wants you to try and have a revelation about is that he is good. And there's one thing the devil wants to try and have a re you'd have a revelation is the devil is doing all he can to discredit God. That's his whole aim. Do you know that God doesn't want to actually convince you that God that God is just a fairy tale or God doesn't exist. He's not really, the devil doesn't want to do that. The devil wants to discredit God in your eyes. That's what he wants to do. If we, if we looked at Genesis chapter 3 and 4, Adam or Eve were in the garden. They were perfect. Everything was perfect. The devil comes along in the form of a serpent and he says, did God say that you should not eat of the tree of you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and Eve said, no, no, God said we should not eat of that tree. You can eat of any tree in the garden, but not the tree of good, of the knowledge of good and evil. And, and, and the devil comes back and he says, no, that's not true. Because God knows when you eat of that tree that you'll become like God. And that God, you know, and what happens here is more than anything, we see the devil tries to discredit God. I, 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 when I first thought of this, the reality is, why doesn't the devil just try and make God out not to be real? It's just a fairy tale. No, the devil doesn't do that because that's not his aim. Because the truth is that the majority of people across the world believe there is a God. He just wants to discredit God in everybody's eyes. 
and make God out to be, basically, the bottom line is that God is bad and not good. See, see and, and what the devil or the serpent was saying to Adam and Eve is that God doesn't want you to be like him because he's the one who wants to live big and you could just stay limited and small. He doesn't want you to, because you'll have all knowledge if you eat and you'll be like God. Basically, pride is the same problem that the devil had when he fell from heaven, if we go to the Old Testament principle and see when he, it was pride was his issue. And he was trying to get Adam and Eve proud and he's trying to get Adam and Eve looking at God in a, in a way that would discredit God in their eyes. It needs to be understood that um, basically God is good. The devil, see the devil has not got your best interest at heart. He's not interested in you being, and even though you may enjoy the pleasure of sin for a season, and you think, well, this is good, it's not, it's going to destroy you. And the devil is not interested in giving you life, he wants to take life, kill or steal and destroy your life. And if he can get you to have a revelation that God is bad, then your expectation of God will be different to what it would be if you thought God was good. And then every piece of information that, information that flows to your life is filtered through the expectation and the revelation that God is bad. You'll, you'll, the way that you'll approach life is so different to the way you'll approach life if you understood that God is good. You start to believe that. See, the first lie the devil sells Adam and Eve after they had, you know, they ate of the tree, and straight away, uh, uh, we see that um, Adam and Eve uh, then realized some things about themselves, that they were naked, and, and it says God came down into the garden, and like always, He wanted to fellowship and be with them, and He couldn't find them, and He had to call out to them, Adam and Eve, where are you? And Adam and Eve came from out behind the bushes, and you know, and the conversation went on from there. But the point that I want to say to you, if we have the ex revelation and expectation that God is bad, you'll always have this belief that God has removed himself from you when you fail. And the truth is, God doesn't remove himself from you. Just like in the, in the, in the garden, he wanted to be with Adam and Eve even after they failed. Even after they'd done the wrong thing, disobeyed God. But you know, the devil, if you have the expectation and revelation that God is bad, you'll think God doesn't want anything to do with me and he wants to be a million miles from me when that is a lie from the pit of hell. Give him a hand if you want to, but that's the truth. See, God always wants to be with you. God always wants to be. He came to the garden, he said, Adam, where are you? He wasn't backing. God knew they'd wronged. God knew that was sinful, done the wrong. He knew. He did, that didn't stop him from reaching out to Adam and Eve. And the devil will sell you a lie that says, well, God's not interested in you now that you've blown it so much. I want to tell you, God is, that's what grace is. It's not that God's not disappointed with my sin. Of course he is. He doesn't want me to do the wrong because it separates me from him. But he doesn't move. It's me that moves. God's always there. And see, the first lie that will be told to you if you believe God is bad is that God hates you and is removed from you and God is not removed from you. He is always there. David said, if you go down the depths, he will be there. If you go to the heights, he will be there in Psalms. He's everywhere. The truth is, if we think God is not good, uh, that's what will happen. Here's the second lie of the devil. 
here's the second thought. You see, what happened was that um, when Adam and Eve uh, failed God, the second lie that I think that comes out of God is not good is that God is vengeful. Listen to this. Uh, see, we think sometimes, well, God wants to get back at me. You know, when you, you know when you have those really bad weeks and everything just doesn't seem to go as you had planned it. It goes bad. I, I have those weeks. Is anybody else? You know, just things go wrong. And then at the end of the week, you get a flat tire. And so you get out of your car, you kick the car, and you say, I knew this was the case, God. I knew you would do this because I knew you wanted to get back at me because of what I did last week. And we maybe never verbalize it, but sometimes when things go wrong in our heart, we're thinking, God, in our heart, we say, God, do you really love me? Are you just trying to get back at me? We really do think that God has a 4B2 that Mark talked about this morning. And I'm glad he, you know, we think we, we need it, but God doesn't do that. God doesn't hit us over the head. Our consequences do enough of that, of our sin. The consequences destroy us enough. But, you know, God does not, God is not vengeful. He's not wanting to get back at you. I love it when he came to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve discovered they sinned, they disobeyed God. They're in, they realized, straight away they realized they were what? Naked, exposed, and they hid from God because they had knowledge that they were exposed. And when God comes to them, you know what, folks, he does with them? He takes an animal, he slaughters the animal, he sacrifices the animal, he sheds the blood of the animal, he skins the animal, he dries out the skin, and he gives it to Adam and Eve so they can be covered, so they can have clothes. So their sin cannot be exposed anymore. So they'll be covered. Can you see what Jesus done for us? He sacrificed himself so that our sin will not be exposed, that we would be forgiven when we come to him and repent. Amen? When we come to him and repent, he says, I'll cover you with my blood so that your sin now, though it was scarlet, will be as white as snow. And Jesus is not vengeful. Otherwise, you know, it would have been us up on the cross. You can die for your own sin. You can, yeah, 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 you get up there. No, Jesus says, I'll do it. God's not vengeful. And now I know in the Old Testament in Genesis, it says that God cursed the snake. Now, he didn't curse Adam and Eve. What he did was he gave them the consequences of their sin. Childbirth was difficult for the women, and the land was going to be tough and hard to be, get fertile and produce a crop for Adam. And so there was consequences, and I understand that. But God was out to, to help them, be near them, and support them, and cover them as they come to him and ask for forgiveness. Isn't that the beautiful thing about our God, that he forgives when we repent and turn? to him amen so the so the devil does not want doesn't want to convince you that god is not real this morning the devil wants to convince you that god is not good god is not good and if you can live as a wounded christian believing that god is not good and that all the things happen you god's out to get you and god wants to revenge and god wants to remove himself from you you'll live far below god's best for your life and that's not what god wants and, if, you, and if, he, if you're convinced that God is not good, then you'll start, you won't take the step of faith. You won't believe for healing. You'll have no point of... of you, so what's the point of trying? There's no point in believing. I want to tell you there's every reason today when you have a mindset and expectation and revelation that God is good, there's every reason to believe for His healing touch, His healing presence, and what He wants to do in our lives. 
There's every reason to think that he's, he runs after us and pursues us. But if God is bad, then we'll just settle for whatever happens. And okay, sirrah, sirrah, that's what life is like. I just copped the raw end of the stick. I want to tell you, you don't need the raw end of the stick. You need the good end of the stick. God wants to give it to you. Goodness of God is the entrance through which you receive every blessing and grace that God has for us. Let me finish with this thought this morning. There's a guy called David. Most of us know him. He was the shepherd boy in in, in the Old Testament. He grew up to be a man. He, of course, became eventually the king of Israel. And David, um, of course, went through some incredibly difficult times. Ten years of being chased through the desert by his father-in-law who wanted him dead. That's a great relationship with your father-in-law, isn't it? And, uh, and his wife was taken from him. He, he was uh, hunted like an animal. You know the story, hopefully, 10 years of that. And then when he did, did become king, David went through some difficult times. And David's life was not all that bad. But I want to tell you what God, David, maintained through his life was a relationship with his heavenly father. Maybe bar one little season where he done the wrong thing and committed adultery and murder. But he came back to God and God re- accepted him and he restored him. And David went through some difficult times in his kingship. And of course, his son tried to take his throne. And all those things happened. And so David writes Psalm 27, verse 13, when he's going through one of those trials in life. And this is what David says at the end of the psalm, verse 13 of Psalm 27. In actual fact, this was read to us this week when I was in a meeting with a, one of our ladies' Bible studies groups. And I thought it was so good. And it says, Psalm 27, 13, I will, David says, I will see the what of the Lord? Come on, I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So David was going through incredible trials, incredible difficult times. And he's going through this point in his life. And so David says here in the psalm, it's not about what's happening. This is what David's, from that verse, he's saying, it's not about what is happening, but I am convinced uh, that... Uh, it's about what I think about what's happening. What do I think about when difficulties come my way? And David said, I am going to see God's goodness in, in the land of the living. I'm not going to die. I'm going to see God's goodness in the midst of his trial, in the midst of his struggle. Because my revelation, David was saying, is that God is good and my expectation is that I'm going to see his goodness. And somewhere in all that's happening to me, there is something good God is going to show me. There is something good he's going to bring out of this. And so I start, so David starts to look, not the negative, but the positive. I'm processing it, looking at the upside. My heart this morning would be that you would have that verse firmly in your heart. And maybe today when you go through that struggle or that difficulty, maybe you're facing it this year already before the year ends. Or maybe you're going to face some things next year. I'm not wanting to be a prophet of doom, church. I just want us to know that God is, if you can have the revelation of that God is good, your expectation will then be when you get information, no matter what that information says, it might say, you know, for some people in this church, the information has been, I've got cancer. But I've seen a number of people come in this church with cancer and say, hey, I'm going to, they didn't literally say this first, but their attitude was, I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Some people get information um, that, you know, lost my job, or maybe a family member has passed away. 
Or maybe it's just something drastic has happened. Maybe it might be as simple as a pet dies. Or, I don't know, but they're all things that can be a struggle to us. Maybe today there's a, there's a um, broken relationship with a family member. You just wish was restored. I don't know. But God would say, as you would have a revelation that He is good, your expectation will be that He wants to do you good. And whatever bad information comes your way, you'll see it in a different light. Amen. And when you see it in a different light, you'll start to make choices about how you live. Better choices and good choices. Can we stand together as we close this morning? Amen. Do you think His Word is good this morning? God is good. God is good. He doesn't stand afar off this morning. He draws near. Could, you, could I just pray for you this morning where you stand and believe? I, I believe the Holy Spirit will just quicken the truth. Would you just for a moment give yourself just 30 seconds to, just to turn over and receive this simple thought today and agree with it and receive it, not from me, but as if the Lord was just encouraging this morning that God is good. Come on, because we'll walk out of this door soon or we'll have morning tea and we'll get into conversations and we'll, uh, you know, and... And, and for a moment, the, the thoughts will be lost that's been shared. But if there's nothing else this morning that you'll walk away with this simple thought, God is, come on, God is good. So Father, this morning, could we, could we do something maybe for you as a little bit radical? Just hold your hands out to God. As a, as a kind of a faith step of just saying, God, I want to receive. Father, right now, I just pray. Father, not that my prayer is already any more sacred than any other person's prayer, but your heart would be that for every person here today, that they would see you as an incredibly good God. It's not that we uh, deserve it, Lord. It's not that we are perfect, but God, you're still good. And so, Father, I, place, I, I pray that you would put in their hands that revelation and then into their hearts and their minds that truth that you're incredibly good and you're not out to get them or to pin them down or to wreck their lives, but you're out actually to help and bless them. And Father, and if there's repentance that's needed in our lives, help us to do that. If there's a turning away from the evil, help us to do that, Lord, so we can be participants in your blessing and goodness. Father, we ask that this morning, and I pray that you'll put your presence on their lives today as we go about this day, and we ask in the name of Jesus Christ. Father, may nothing be able to dislodge us from the truth that you are good. When What hell or high water may come our way, Father, that you are still good, and that you will bring us through. And nothing um, comes that God wants to bring goodness out of it. And we thank you this morning. And we come and join our hearts with yours. And thank you, Father. And everyone agreed with this prayer would say, Amen. Amen. Come on.